0: What's up, everybody? We got another episode of the SMH Lab podcast, a very important one, in my opinion, where I talk to Brian Payton. Brian is currently Northwestern University's football director of recruiting and communications. He's been coaching and recruiting at the college level for several years at various stops. Uh, also, I had the privilege of coaching him when he was in high school. He was a, a Hall of Fame. Running back at Fort Wayne Concordia High School, also ran track for myself, also a very good baseball player, one of the best athletes I've ever seen uh, at the high school level, and went on to play college ball at, at IU, but uh, very important episode as we, as we discuss the Black Lives Matter. Brian has some great thoughts about that, and I think it's a very important one for you all to listen to, no matter what race you are, and listen to what Brian has to say. Enjoy, Brian Payton. Yes, sir. How are you, man?
1: I'm doing great. Doing great. How How you doing?
0: I'm great. Welcome to the SMH Lab podcast. We've been wanting to have you on for a while, Brian. So we're thrilled to have you.
1: Yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. Thrilled to be here.
0: Good. So, Brian Payton, I actually had had the honor to coach him. He's one of the best high school athletes really of all time. I would say in Indiana sports <laughs> history, definitely at Concordia. Um, one of the best running backs we've ever seen. One of the best 400 runners we've ever seen and all around sprinters is as, in track and field as well as a very good baseball player. And he actually was doing baseball and track in the same season, which he's pulling, he was pulling the little, little bit like a Deion Sanders move there. Um, but, uh, so Brian Payton, Fort Wayne Concordia High School, all-state football player, all-state track, uh, went on to become the starting running back at Indiana University football and graduated from IU with a journalism degree. But uh, tell us a little bit about that journey, Brian, as a student athlete and, and some of your mentors along the way and so forth from, from Concordia to IU.
1: Yeah, so um, Concordia, as you mentioned there, uh, you know, playing uh, um, as a football player, so Initially went to Concordia for baseball, so I know you mentioned the the baseball part of it. Mm-hmm. So through I don't know I
0: don't know if I knew that, Brian. You didn't really. I don't I don't know. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, but uh, you know, I think through from like 11 years old to 14, I was one of the top. Uh, baseball players in the country, really. Mm-hmm. So there was this, uh, back then They used to have these magazines that would come out that would rate players. Uh, really it's kind of ridiculous to rate some middle schoolers, but they did. <laughs> uh, and they rated like the top incoming high school freshmen for baseball. And I was on that list. I think it was like a maybe like 200 kids, 250. Wow. And I was on that list. So, uh, I trained with the guy in town in Fort Wayne that when I was in eighth grade, my, my parents were asking him kind of, you know, he's really good at baseball, wants to be a baseball star. Where should he go? And the guy said Concordia. So, Hmm. and and I'm pretty sure despite the relationships I had football wise, if he would have said anywhere else, I probably would have went wherever he said. Right. So, uh, but he said Concordia and we, you know, my parents and I we did our own research and saw that they had some, you know the they you know the proof was there they had some guys who had done really well and actually had gone to the league That's and right. played in, played in college, so it made sense so went there for baseball, I was you know really really good as a freshman, ended up playing some varsity as a freshman uh and then uh um you know I think from there, you know obviously he was doing track and field at the same time uh and then uh I stopped playing at, stopped playing baseball the sophomore year, and the big reason why, and i 'm sure you remember this, but there's a lot of tug of war about uh, <laughs> you know I want me to choose and and really it wasn't on you know your side, it was more baseball wanting me to be like hey you 're going to be a star on our team, you need to choose, and I think at the time, you know also my grades were a factor. I was not a good student in high school um, wasn't because of getting in trouble or anything, but it was just uh, I wasn't focused on that. Right. Um, you know, but so that was a factor as well. And I just felt like a, an, a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. And I think you're going to put a lot of pressure on a 16-year-old to make a bunch of decisions that <laughs> he doesn't really feel like he wants to make or needs to make. I just went with, with what was more fun at the time. Right. And, and I had more friends on the track team. You made it more fun. Uh, you know, it was just, uh, you know, that's what I thought to me made the most sense, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, you know, so ended up doing that and stopping baseball. Uh, But obviously what everybody, you know, i say most people probably know me for is playing football. And, uh, you know, uh, that journey kind of, you know, like I said, I really had a baseball mind until probably after sophomore year uh, when I realized, okay, you know, I started getting letters as a sophomore, handwritten letters from coaches. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I, I'm probably pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> hey. you know? I remember the first one I got mm. was from Ball State. Mm. And they actually came to uh, see a player by the name of Josh Gaines, who i oh, sure yeah. people from Fort Wayne will know. Yeah. Uh, they came to see him. But I happened to rush for nearly 200 yards that game. So nice. they're like, who's this Peyton kid? And I got my first letter then. So. Brian, that was, like, that was like every game you had 200 yards. <laughs> Didn't you, you know, average was,
0: like 180?
1: Something like that. I can't yeah. even remember the yeah. exact number. 200, what,
0: that, wasn't, that wasn't like a special
1: game for you. 300 was special. <laughs> there right? were some, some 300s in there, Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. yes. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, football took off, and, uh, you know, 300 games, my, my uh, heartbreaker, my final game of my high school career was against Whitco, and mm. I rushed for 365 yards or oh. something like that with six touchdowns and lost. So Ugh. never forget it. I've never seen the game. I know we got it on tape, but I, I can't watch it. I remember so, that. Yeah. So but so football's taken off and, and you know, not not to make a super long story, you know, make it super long, but I mentioned the academics, was not a good student, ended up having to graduate not with the class in 04, but graduated in the summertime and uh, ended up going to prep school. Uh, at Fork mm-hmm. Union Military Academy out in uh, Virginia for a year right so did that and through you know from there ended up getting a scholarship in Indiana among many others but choosing Indiana uh, and that ended up being kind of how I got there so right. it's quite a story uh, should probably write a book about it you know there's no plenty doubt. more to it but um, but yeah that's kind of the, the story of how I got to IU
0: Right. Well, and, and, and I'll say it if you don't say it, but the, the intelligence wasn't the problem, as you can, as you can tell, listening, <laughs> listening to Brian talk. But it was the he just wasn't. He was, all of his efforts were going towards the athletic fields, uh, yeah. Not, not the classroom. But it wasn't. Uh, but he has plenty of intelligence. But, yeah. but and and that, that, yeah, that definitely changed at prep school and down the road. So.
1: It definitely did. I think in prep school, you know, I was forced to really, you know, it was it was uh, put up or shut up then. Mm-hmm. It was either you get this done or you're going to take another detour to JUCO. And, and JUCO is as unorganized as it gets. Yeah. And I didn't want to do that. So really had to get the work done, and I proved to myself that I could really do it. Mm-hmm. got straight A's though. I think I got one B in, like, a math class. But um, we did really well there, so I proved to myself that I can do it. But, you know, I tell kids all the time now, you, you don't want to have to do that. <laughs> Just that was, a hard, that was a hard year. It's like the lost year. Some people yeah. do you know, kind of a little bit. So, right. But made me tougher though. Definitely. Oh, no me.
0: doubt. No doubt. And then the, the, your experience at Indiana University was a good one?
1: Yeah, it was definitely good. It had a lot of, it had, definitely had some turmoil, uh, very unique circumstances. You know, I, I got there and I was never a, a full time starter at Indiana. I was, you know, people are familiar with football, knows that a lot of times with running backs, especially nowadays, you're in a rotation. So, yeah. I was in one of those uh, offenses where it really almost didn't matter who started, you know, you could be, you know, I, I think I was third straight. I started probably 10 games in my career, rushed for over 900 yards in my career and I think 10 touchdowns or something like that. But, uh, but I had a really good career. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. some people look at it and like, Oh, you didn't rush for a thousand yards, you know, but you know, it is what it is. I think it depends on your situation and where you go. But one of the things that happened, I think everybody, you know, people who follow Indiana football knows. In, in 2007, unfortunately, uh, Terry Hepner, who was the coach who recruited me and, you know, a little bit, and uh, you know, I was in his first full recruiting class. He passed away uh, mm-hmm. from uh, brain cancer uh, in 2007, and uh, that was just quite the, quite the crazy year. You know, we lost Coach Hep. Uh, that was it. Happened to be my best season. Uh, mm-hmm. of my college career, um, and that year we ended up going to the first bowl game in Indiana, uh, not Indiana history, but first bowl game in 13 years yeah. for yeah. Indiana football, um, you know, and uh, went to the Insight Bowl, got our butts kicked uh, by Oklahoma State, who had mm-hmm. this uh, young wide receiver by the name of Dez Bryant. <laughs> Here you go. Uh, who scored three touchdowns and told us about it every time after he scored so um but you know so uh and then you know after that i kind of uh, you know i'm i, I was five eight, two hundred five 205 pounds i think i had good speed uh, you know i was kind of beat up i had a back problem i had a shoulder issue um i kind of knew going into my senior year this is going you know this is going to be it yeah so uh really kind of started having my focus shift towards you know what i wanted to do other than uh other than football because i knew the nfl even if I would have gotten in the NFL, I'd have been a dude that bounced around everywhere and tried not to get cut. Right, I just right. didn't want to live that life at the time.
0: Sure, sure. And then you hit the you hit the coaching world with track and field and football, and now you're the Northwestern University Football Director of Recruiting Communications. Correct? Yeah.
1: That's a yeah, that's a real souped up way to say, I mean, I work in recruiting. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds impressive. It does. It does. Yeah. Um but yeah, so. When I got out of there, I went into the journalism world at first and uh, was a journalist. I, I, I had written for the school newspaper at Indiana, Indiana Daily Student, which I will say is the number one uh, college newspaper in the country, uh, still running today. Um, and I worked for the magazine as well in Indiana. So I had gotten my feet wet and was a journalism student and ended up uh, interning and writing for Indianapolis Monthly and then went out east. Uh, to Eastern PA and slash New York uh, to work for uh, Men's Health Magazine. So, um, did that, freelance writ- wrote for New York Times a little bit as well. Um, so, did some stuff like that. But then from there, went and got into uh, um, I had an itch to get back to football. And I just, you know, didn't, wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do, but uh, ended up coaching at Concord University in 2012. Uh, This is D2 at the D2 level. Did that, coached it, you know, uh, then went up to Trine. uh, And at Trine, I was, uh, uh, I coached sprints and track as well as coached tight ends and football. Mm. And I was just getting really sick of coach, you know, coaching football. So I just, I don't know. I I just knew that I didn't want to do that. But I really, you know, with the track background, I've always been a huge track and field fan. Um, So Uh, you know, went towards track and just decided to do that for the next couple, uh, two or three years. But it was really a blessing in disguise because through track, I, you know, I really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed a lot about it. I enjoyed the uh, kind of, uh, I guess, individualism of the athletes, you know, within a team Mm -hmm. and kind of really, you know, helping people achieve that way. But what I found also is what I enjoyed more than anything is recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and just recruiting and track was different than, I mean, you're, you're recruiting a number, you know, you're, you know, did you run, you know, I'm recruiting a guy that you, you, did you run, did you break 23, you run 20, you know, whatever, yep. you know, I'm looking for that, but I really enjoyed the, the, the amount of people I got to recruit and the amount of conversations that I was able to have and the impact I had on those kids life. And I knew, okay, what I know best is football. What I love to do most is recruit. Yep. I got to find a way to put those together. So I I reached out to a lot of different places, but I knew some people at uh, at Northwestern um, and it was probably about 10 months between the time when I reached out and got the job at Northwestern. And I started out as an unpaid intern in 2015. Mm. So that was um, and that was a you should have been there for the conversation between my Mm. parents and myself when I told them. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to leave this. You know, I was making decent money, you know, at Otterbein University at the time in the Columbus, Ohio area, um, Mm -hmm. coaching track and field. And I uh, went home and I told my parents, say, hey, you know, so I'm going to take this unpaid internship at 29 years old and move to Chicago and not make any money (laughs) (laughs) and work my butt off. And they, you know, I I give them credit. They supported me, but the looks on their faces just said, this is stupid right like what are you thinking and you know they didn't say that to me because they're good parents and I appreciate them and love them to death but you know if my dad honestly would have been like no that's stupid you shouldn't do it I probably wouldn't have done it right (laughs) you know Uh, but they supported me and I know now that they were just super afraid of that sure right (laughs) yeah it, it was and that you know I was unpaid for nine months so it wasn't it wasn't easy was, but, yeah, yeah. but that,
0: you have great parents, very supportive parents, and that just shows the kind of parents they are, that they,
1: that they showed that belief
0: in you, even if there was, you know, some doubts they had behind closed doors. Um, yeah. But that's yeah. that's very cool to hear that.
1: Most definitely, so, yeah.
0: So, well, I'd be remiss not to, to bring up the state of the world today, Brian,
1: with yeah. Uh, yeah. everything
0: going on in our country and the peaceful protests or, or non-peaceful protests. And, mm-hmm. But just tell us any of your general thoughts of, of everything in the last, cause like you had said earlier, we were, we were talking, uh, you know, a month ago when, when we first started talking about having you on and um, the difference between a month ago and, and today with, with the world are, it's, it's like night
1: and day. So, yeah, it, it really is. And it's, we, we, ha- we started off with a talk, you know, uh, you know, in our staff meeting at Northwestern, you know, and, and it was kicked off, you know, by our head coach. And I, I feel like there's, an easy way to kind of say what I hear a lot of people say when they first bring this up, when I think people don't know how to approach it, but it's easy to say, Hey, we all got to come together. Like I I hear that all the time. Yep. We're all equal. We all got to come together. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we do. But we've been saying that. Yep. So the next step. And what I, what I pray that all that this leads to is action, People have to do something. And, you know, I, I think that what that something is, I think, is different for each person. You know, there are some people who teach. There are some people who recruit and talk to kids. There are some people who are counselors. There are people who are doctors and different things. But what we have to start doing is stop, we have to have those, converse, those hard conversations about what's real and what's going on and about what are the simple ways that we can make a change and do something. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll just give you an example. You know, I myself, I have the unique opportunity where I work around and talk to uh, 18 to 23 year olds, you know, in my, with college football. Now I remember being 18 to 23 and in college, you're kind of in your own little bubble and you don't really fully pay attention to things unless something is like right on your doorstep. You know, I, I had something on my doorstep and, when I was in college and that was the election of our first black president, Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. And that until then, I can honestly tell you, I wouldn't pay much attention. Sure. So, and for these kids, these days, I imagine this is it. So what I'm doing is one of the things I always say is our protest in order for it to lead to progress, it needs to lead to policy. And how do you change policy? You have to vote. You have to vote the people in who are going to help, who have the agendas and are going to help the black and brown communities. As we say that, you know, if that's what you're, what you care about, which in this case, yeah, I think people should. Mm-hmm. So in my position, the simple thing that I can do is I'm taking every day and I'm talking to two or three of our players and helping them get registered to vote. And if they are registered to vote already, I'm going to talk to them. I'm talking to them about why it's important and what they can do and what voting you know, will mean and and just kind of giving them some little tidbits here and then following up with them. So I want to walk them through the registration, get them signed up and help them understand why it's important. So we have about 27 different states on our team. So they're going to be largely uh, absentee ballots, which is another hurdle of that kids probably don't even understand or don't know how to do. So I'm helping them do that. Mm -hmm. That's my way. Somebody else may have something different. Right. But we have to have those conversations. How can we make change? And I don't think it's always easy for everybody, but that's where we have to start. We can't just keep giving it lip service of, you know, we got to come together. Well, I, I got news for you. Just because you have friends who are of different races doesn't mean that things are going to change. <laughs> that's right. You know, I, I, see, right. I hear that all the time. Like people talk about football like, well, football is the greatest game because you get everybody from all different backgrounds and races and ethnicities. Well, that's great, but what are y'all doing? Yeah, what are they talking about? Right. So you know, and you we still have, have to take and, you,
0: and you still have, Brian. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's even at the college level, NFL level, you still have, you know, the possibly. You know, the separation in, in a locker room, oh, all the whites are hanging out in this corner and the blacks are hanging yeah. out in this corner, or like, you know, at the, during training camp and the dining halls and things like that, right?
1: Right. You most definitely do. You yeah. most definitely now do. Now, you,
0: Brian, you were never that way. I mean, you intermixed, I mean, amazingly well with, yeah, with, I, with every race. Would you agree? I would agree 100%. And I think a yeah. lot of that
1: was due to my upbringing to some extent. Yes, right. Because the way my parents preached to me, but also kind of just the nature of where I grew up. I grew up around pretty much all black folks. Mm -hmm. And then I went to school where it's predominantly white. Yep. So, you know, naturally without doing much, you kind of, I see both worlds. You got to know how to operate within both. And you know that, you know, you can't necessarily talk about the same stuff around the people at school that you're going to talk about at home. Right. You know, and I naturally knew how to operate within that. But also I think that I also... Have the personality where I'm not afraid to talk to anybody, anyway. Right. So I think that helped me, and that just kind of comes with, you know, my home and upbringing, like I said. But I, I think you hit the nail on the head, though. You still have division within locker rooms, and I hope that, you know, with the de- with the killing of, of of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all these uh, countless other names, I hope this, you know, doesn't get lost in just police brutality. It needs we need to understand why the police brutality is happening and have those real conversations. So, um, you know, I I think that's, that's where we got to start. What are the simple ways you can make change? And people got to have conversation and it doesn't just come like you may not know. So that's why you need to talk to people about like, Hey, well let's have a round table about this or let's have a something, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, And I I think that's where people got to start with this.
0: Right. Right. And I, you know, in my opinion, I wrote about this a little bit, uh, um, mm-hmm. the, the 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 white police officer that is doing the the brutality of, of of different races is he was he was raised to be that way. It doesn't make it right because he could still learn his own way. But I mm-hmm. was raised, I was raised completely opposite. Like I was raised to treat everybody the same. Like not, and that wasn't just lip service. Like we, right. You know, my my parents had all races over to the house, and we were you know carpooling with everybody and. And um, I mean, that was just, I dated whoever I wanted to date. You know, I went to the, to the prom with, with, a, with, a, with a girl that had a, you know, a black dad and a, and a white mom and, and nobody cared. Like my right. parents thought it was great, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and they were proud of me, you know, for, for standing up for, for what's right. And right. Um, but, but, but racism is definitely something that uh, you're not born. You're not born a racist. You're taught that behavior. And, and I just feel mm-hmm. like those, those police officers, there's some police officers that are, that are using that, you know, what they were taught. And that's, yeah. that's, that's where this is all led to. Whereas ones that are, have been taught the right ways, they're not, they're not doing that.
1: A hundred percent. And it's, uh, I hear people saying all the time, like, well, you know, there are, uh, you know, they're not all bad. There's, there's good cops too. Well, yeah. Well the bad cops are making it look bad for the good ones. Yep. You know, and Chris Rock had, uh, I love Chris Rock. Mm, Me too. He had uh, a comedy special where he said something that is so true. And I just keep thinking about what they what what they people say all the time is he said something along the lines of like, uh, well, people when when a a policeman murders a a black man or anybody for that, man, they say, well, you know, it's just a few bad apples. Yep. You know, well, some jobs you can't have bad apples. (laughs) That's right. Like uh, and, and Chris Rock brings it up. He's like, well, like like pilots. You, you, you can't. Well, you know, so, he says like only only some of our pilots, you know, mo- most of them, uh, you know, most of them like to land. But some of them like to crash, you know, it's like, yep. well, uh, you know, because they're just a couple bad apples. Well, you can't right. have a bad apple. You That's can't right. afford that. Same thing with priests, with priests. Right. Oh, oh,
0: just a few of them are child molesters.
1: (laughs) Right, right. No. 100%. Like, well, this isn't a job where you can afford to have a bad apple. Right. You know, you just can't. You know, it's it's not like, uh, you know, like I love what I do, but there are a few people who just suck at recruiting. Okay, well, it's not going to end anybody's life. It's just, (laughs) you know, you're just not very good at what you do, but it's not going to hurt anybody else. Other jobs, you specifically – can put can kill other people or put other people in harm and right. i think policing is that way you know you, you i don't i don't fully know what the you know what the protocol is for training policemen and all this and that i, I don't claim to know those things right but whatever it is it's got to be better than what we got right i mean it, i they need to look in the deep into people's backgrounds and if you're gonna if you are a known white supremacist then your background Of anything whether it be pictures or friends or way i don't know something they gotta find you know they i mean people the the problem is this man this police officer brutally murdered uh george floyd and then afterwards we find this picture of him in a make america great again make america great again hat well you couldn't have found that before right or nobody. This didn't raise any red flags, and I'm not just saying. I'm not saying anybody who votes for Trump is is terrible, but that would cause me to like, hmm. Yeah. Let me look a little further here. Right. You know. So there's got to be something, and people they got to be digging further. They got to have more protocols. Something. You know. Um. To to make this better. You know. Uh, and you know. So I, I think you know, one of the things that you know I mentioned voting already. But people got to understand that if, you know, when you, you, know, you want to vote for something simple like policing, not simple, but something like policing, well, that is your state and local government, which you vote on every two years. Mm-hmm. People got to get that in their head. We always talk about the presidency, you know, well, you know, vote every two years, not every four, you know, that's something right. I'm going to talk to my, that's something I'm talking to our players about, too.
0: Right, right. Well, I tell you what, I mean, something as little as me growing up and having posters on the wall of of Magic Johnson and Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan. And like, and I was like, Oh hell no. Larry Bird's not not going up. John Stockton. I don't even (laughs) like those dudes. Let me tell you something, Brian, not once did my mom or dad say like, man, do you not, do you you not even like any any whites? You know, never. It was just, they're buying the posters for me. You know, they're buying my, my Belle Biv DeVoe posters and run DMC and buying my Adidas with no shoelaces and and uh, but I'm telling you, I'd go to certain kids' house, and they would have the Larry Bird up, and then those parents would get some parents would give me a hard time. You know, they thought it was in a playful way, but looking, even little things like that are a problem. You right, know, giving your kid a hard time about like, well, you don't like the Celtics because they got a bunch of white players. You right. know, what I mean, the whole do the right thing. I remember that movie with you know Spike Lee, and that was mm-hmm. like a joke in the movie, but but it's true. But like yeah. my parents always always supported who my heroes were, and they just happened to be you know, mostly, if not all, you know, black heroes.
1: Yeah. And, and I they think, were good
0: people. I mean, they were even <laughs> great people, you know, I mean, I'm right. Charles Barkley, I mean, I read his book and learned so much from that. And anyway, yeah, go ahead.
1: I, I think that's, that's so important. And for one with kids, you don't necessarily know exactly what's going to stick with them and what isn't, you know, it's like you say yep. some like, but with you, for example, some people, for some other kids they may be like, Oh, it's just sports. They may, that may fly, you know, by them. But for you, that was big. Yep. and I think a lot of this. It's funny how most things in society in the world come back to parenting. Yep, and how you were brought up, and all those type of things, and that you know I ha- I've had numerous conversations with uh, some friend, a lot of friends and acquaintances a lot of white friends and acquaintances over the past week, and one of the things that I found too, and we, we we get to the topic of upbringing because a lot of us have children, you know, or, or you know different ages, but you know you got kids in the house. And a lot of it, what it comes back to we start talking about that. And then uh, what my white friends will say is, you know, I preach equality in the house. And we talk about how we're all, you know, equal and this and that. And and just the basic things of Christian values and stuff like that that they teach. And that's good. You got to do that. Mm -hmm. But I tell them, uh, I challenge them on, well, do you tell them that we're all seen the same, looked Mm -hmm. at as the same? And they're like, no, I don't tell them that. I'm like, well, that's the privilege that you have. Mm. You have the privilege of omitting a huge part of uh, of what is part of the fabric of America, honestly. Mm-hmm. In black and brown homes, we have to tell our children, "Hey, yes, we do. We do the Christian values thing. We do the. I mean, if you're a Christian, it's okay. If you're not, but." If you, you know, we do the, we're all equal to that thing, but we have to let them know you are going to be looked at as inferior in this world mm-hmm. and people are going to see you a certain way because of the way you look or the way your hair looks or whatever. You're going to be seen a certain way and you have to be prepared for that. And right. we have to prepare our children for that. And the mm-hmm. white homes, they have the privilege of just saying, oh, leaving that whole part out. Yeah. And I think for a whole generation, that has been left out. And that's what we get. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a lot of people, a lot of white folks who are, they're not racist. They're not against black people or brown people. Mm -hmm. But they don't know. They are apathetic. And they just don't know what to do or say. Why? That's right. Because the whole other part of this was omitted. They weren't told anything. Mm-hmm. They think we're all just the same. And then they're surprised, like, oh, you know, they have may have a black friend or something. Like, well, you know, and something happens, <laughs> and they're so shocked. Yeah. Because nobody told them. Right. And I think in that, in it, they just go about their life in a certain way. And sure, does it mean they're going to turn out to be a bad person? Not at all. Mm-hmm. But then you get people who... Like I said before, we all got to come together, but don't do anything. Right. They don't know to do anything. Mhm. Because and that's just, yeah, yeah.
0: That that's uh, apathy versus empathy. Yeah. Um. And and I was I was definitely taught empathy growing up, and I mean I I, I can remember sitting in in the family room, you know, like I'm not even going to say my parents made me like I wanted to watch you know Glory with Denzel Washington. I wanted to watch you know A Time to Kill and. And 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 read To Kill a Mockingbird, and I, I I mean I'm crying, you know, watching these movies and mm-hmm. feeling that empathy, the unfairness. But I mean, my parents made dang sure that I, that you know, if I didn't understand, if I asked a the question, they would say like, yeah, well, that was because there was a horrible white man in charge, a horrible racist that you should never treat somebody that way, right? right. They they taught me that, you know. Whereas some homes, you know, they're laughing, right? They're right? Like, oh, yeah, right? He, yeah, he deserves that, and yeah, you know, that's the way it goes, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, or um, or that, or they don't even know those films exist. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably right. You're probably right. They're you probably know? watching something completely different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're right. Um, I remember my first job interview ever. Um, uh, do you remember Tiffany Gooden? Most definitely, uh, yes. Yeah, she's one of the best uh, female basketball players of all time in Fort Wayne. And then uh, her mother that. was the principal, I believe, at Southside. And I interviewed for a job there right out of college. And she asked me, you know, like, how, how, would, I, how would I deal with, with teaching people that were mostly the opposite of my race? Mm-hmm. And, my, I, you know, I was just so cocky. I was like, oh, man, Mrs. Gooden, <laughs> Mrs. Gooden, I don't see race. I don't oh. see color. And, uh, and she just, like, just stopped me. She's like, Mr. Peterson, <laughs> you're trying to say all the right things. You must see color. You must see race. Right. Right. And, uh, yeah, I showed up real quick and, uh, but I listened to what she had to say. She was right. And I never said that again, but again, you know, I learned, you know, yeah. I, I learned from that experience.
1: Yeah. And I think that helps make you, you who you are. I, right. I think there's too many situations now where people just aren't getting out and seeing other people that they, are. you know, that not only were they brought up, you know, with apathy and not to have empathy that, that then they get, become adults and still, they just see other white people. They don't know, right? They don't know any black people. Or if they do, it's the, it's the guy who grew up in, just in white culture. Like he just, he is, you know, he don't yep. know any black people either. You know, just right. like, you know, or right. something. So, you know, uh, but I, I think that's really important. I love that you said, brought up the the uh, the the point that she made of, you know, I don't see color. I hate that.
0: Right. I hate yep. when people say yep. that. Like,
1: of course you do. <laughs> of
0: course you <laughs> do. Yeah. <laughs> you yep. know, right?
1: Like I do, like, you know, I'm like, you know, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. Right. Uh, But I think that's important. And I think your experiences have, you know, not only your upbringing, but your experiences into adulthood have, have helped you so much.
0: Right. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, of course, black lives matter, but all, all lives matter. We shouldn't just be saying black lives matter. Can you, can you address that? I mean, I would love to, but you go, you go first.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love to address that. So the all lives matter thing, for one, I will say, um, uh, all lives don't matter if black lives don't. That's right. And, and then people, when you say that people automatically like, well, you know, I know so-and-so who's doing really great and his life matters or her life. (laughs) Like, okay. Um, but to say all lives matter is to, um, it's to not take into account that, it's to, uh, I'm blanking on the word I want to use, but it's to not take into account or, or understand that black folks are um, seen as inferior in this country and that to too many, our lives matter. If they don't matter at all, they, matter, they certainly matter less. Yeah. It's ignorance. Yes, ignorance. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. when they hear black lives matter, they hear white lives don't. That's not mm-hmm. what we're saying. <laughs> you know, you're not the oppressed group. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's not saying that white lives don't matter. It's saying that we have to say we have to speak up about our existence and that we matter. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, what's funny is matter is like the least of things.
0: <laughs>
1: what it should be is like black lives are significant, you know, or, or black mm-hmm. lives are. We're just asking the matter. Yeah. It's you know, a great and, point. And then, and then white people. Are black up, lives
0: are vital. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: And like, you know, and then white people are getting, there's too many white people getting upset about that. And I would say if you are someone who, when you hear black lives matter, you all of a sudden feel defensive, you have a problem. Exactly. It's, 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 the, it's the same people we're talking about. Exactly. You the same have ones a problem. That were
0: Raised incorrectly.
1: Right. And, and then it, when you say that to people, they'll, they'll well, I'm not racist. I'm not saying you're racist. I'm saying you need to check yourself and check your privilege and have some internal thought or maybe talk to somebody. Because that's what too many people hear when they hear Black Lives Matter. You know, Um, and I think we you know, um, we got to get past that at some point. And some people you're never going to get to, but I'm encouraged by the more people are willing to have that conversation. But yeah, the All Lives Matter thing is just, it just it it just so annoying, so right. annoying. What? What's well, that's the, like so. Yeah.
0: So at, at Concordia, you were the only black guy on the baseball team, right?
1: I was, yeah. I think uh, so, Matt Wheatfeld might have been on there. Oh,
0: there you go. Yeah, there you go. for so, a little but, but but that'd be like one of the, one of those guys saying right now, like, oh, I don't have a problem. I I I played baseball. I was on the same team as Brian Payton in right. high school, right.
1: right? Yeah. It's ignorance. It it is. It is. And and to, and. And to go back to my, you know, my days as an athlete, I am fully aware that I benefited from a privilege that was not white privilege, obviously, but athletic privilege, which is like there was stuff going on around me. I didn't even, I was oblivious. Why? Because I got a pass. I got a pass for a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I, I love, there's a lot of people that I love and appreciate at Concordia but and, and that, certainly I, I got in some trouble for some stupid stuff that I did or whatever, parking the visitor's section and breaking <laughs> the, you know, breaking the uh, dress code and stuff like that. But ultimately, I had privilege. So and it, 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 there, so there was many years where there's all types of stuff that whether it be racially charged that the other black students in the, you know, my peers at Concordia saw and they were all upset about. It, and I'm just like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, everybody loved me because I'm scoring touchdowns, you know, and, and hitting a baseball and stuff. So I didn't see a lot. So, you know, so I think I had a lot to learn myself, you know, even as I, as I, you know, grew older. And there was stuff that I already knew, but I had to really, like, come to terms with things, you know, about, hey, you're not going to be looked at like this anymore. You're going to have to deal with some the same stuff that the rest of black folks have to deal with because, you know, you're not that guy no more. You know, right. so I had to deal with that. But I think the, there's definitely is an ignorance of people who was like, "Yeah, I I know, you know like the, the whole thing. I have black friends, like <laughs> okay, <laughs> you, you know." Or I I know I played baseball with Brian, right? It's certainly a thing. But I think that uh, at the time, I was not the guy to educate them, or I wasn't a person that they can look at and say, "Hmm," like make you think. Whereas, like, a, a, maybe a Rolando Scott mm. might, you know, you know, one of the greatest track, track and field athletes in Indiana history, Indiana mm-hmm. high school history. You know, I think he grew up a little differently than I did and maybe didn't benefit in the same way that I did from things. 100%. And, you know, and I think that, you know, so whoever's playing with me, definitely I wasn't the guy at the time to, like, really help you see something a whole lot different. Whereas some other athletes were, and I think we're more aware of things. Uh, right. You know, so, but yeah, that's a little bit of a tangent there, but. No, uh, but yeah. that's a
0: great point actually that, yeah, I definitely didn't think about that, that, uh, but, yeah. but there you are saying like you had, so you had privilege for, you know, a few years of your life, maybe in certain avenues because of your athletic abilities. But like you said, then eventually that that's gone Yeah, and you have to, you know, whereas, you know, on the, on the, uh, on the other side of the coin with. With whites, the, the privilege is—you know—for some, they say it's always there. It's always you know? there, yeah. Right.
1: It's always so. there, and, and I would say even if, you know, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't—I'm I, trying to think of an instance where it's not, but it always is. Like I just—I right. just can't, you know, I, I can't think of one. But uh, sure. And, and I think the—the the more people understand that, they have to understand it and not dismiss it, mm-hmm. you know. It's to the all lives matter is to dismiss the fact that they you know you have privilege dismiss that we matter right they they gotta recognize it you know that's the first step there and then then figure out what to do
0: yeah I love that I love that that yeah all you're asking for is matter like that seriously that's like <laughs>
1: the, the the least
0: yeah i mean that's like we we're, we're asking for like mediocrity
1: yeah like yeah, It's not it, even
0: it's it, not even anything special I mean, right. Just, just right. act like we exist. Right. Exactly. Uh, I mean, that's sad. That's sad. Um, so the Drew, B- the Drew Brees situation and and all of that. Like, what what are your thoughts on that? Like, will you are you will you be supportive of of football players that, and bass players alike that, that decide to kneel for the anthem and or you know, or what what do you think?
1: You know, uh, most definitely. And yeah. Drew Brees, first I'll say he's a Purdue grad. <laughs> And uh, me being an Indiana grad, there's already some things. I don't like that about him. But I think Drew Brees is like uh, a lot of Americans. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's a bad guy. Yep. I don't think he's racist. No. But he doesn't know. He doesn't have an understanding of... What, in this case, the flag means to black and brown people in America? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean the same thing, you know, and i don't I'm not a scholar on the the national anthem, but I do know that it has been said, and there's been many stories there's a whole documentary on it that I probably need to watch, about how the even the national anthem is racist, yeah. You know, and the language, I'm not going to lie, the language of the national anthem to me, especially once you get past the first verse, because there's multiple verses, (laughs) I don't fully understand. People don't talk like that, you know. (laughs) You know, I'm just like, I don't know what this means. You know, I have no idea. But he is thinking, he's talking as if it's the same for everybody. And there are plenty of people, you know, black and brown people who had, their grandfathers and great great grandfathers fighting in the wars too. Well, they didn't come back to some heroes welcome. Mm. They came back to segregation and right. discrimination and racism and of all types. Some were even killed. You know, they didn't. You know, people didn't care. That, oh, you served great. Well, you know, why do you think Muhammad Ali didn't go? That's right. Because he knew better. He's like, what do you say? I'm not gonna fight some white man's war. Well. That sounds really like abrasive, but he's right. He's right. And that's not to disrespect any, you know, black or brown people who fought in the wars. You know, that's cool. But I think Drew Brees is missing the point. And I think he's, you know, he feels like in my mind that uh, we all need to think the same about the flag because we live in America. Well, until America sees us, uh, uh, until the country that that national anthem and the flag that he represents actually sees black and brown people as equal. I, I think everybody should be kneeling. Now, mm-hmm. I understand that there's a a a big population of black and brown people myself probably included that don't know if we can really do that because we fear for our jobs. Sure. I think now more than ever we can speak out and say things and I've spoken out and said things on all my social media. And, and talking to different, uh, I plan on talking to some of our coaches about some things too. Um, but you know, I, I can imagine it's still being tough to take a stand like that for some people. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think Drew Brees missed the mark. I don't think he's a bad person, but I think he needs to check himself. And I don't, and I don't believe his apology at all. Right, right. I don't believe it. I, I think he's shown who he is, and I'm to be honest really surprised surprised but not but you yeah. live in new orleans <laughs> of <laughs> nah. all places mm-hmm. one of the one of the blackest places uh, cities <laughs> we're gonna in america yeah also with a lot of this uh the issues that you have in a black community there and then also you play in the for the saints who have i don't know what the percentage of black players are but it's a lot but that's what we said earlier about just because you're on a team yep. doesn't mean you understand. And I think right. he is, shows that, and I think he is, you know, that's who he is, and he misses the point. I think he needs to be checked, and I hope they continue to check him. And in my opinion, you know, uh, I think Shannon Sharp said it or somebody else, like he might as well go ahead and retire. Yeah. Like, what are you, you going to say now to your teammates? What are you going to say? Mm. I, I don't know. How <laughs> you come back from that, really? So he he old anyway, but <laughs> so you know, uh, you know. So you won't you won't catch me watching a bunch of Saints games, right? But um, but uh, so yeah, I, I think he just missed. He's completely just aloof with this, and for him to say that is something that I imagine what the uh, a lot of NFL people would think, especially GMs and all that stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Whatever, I don't know, maybe he's trying to appease somebody
0: Right, well, and, and, and for those out there that that are so, uh, you know, they're, they're talking about the protests And like, they're okay with protests as long as they're peaceful um, Well, then you better <laughs> not complain when they peacefully take a knee at the National Anthem
1: Thank you Otherwise it's hypocritical, yes? That, oh my gosh, that, I couldn't have said it better myself Yeah Like, they, they people slandered Kaepernick so bad That's and, right and it's it just all oh, you're disrespecting the flag and this and that. He said from day one what it was about. You know the yep. police brutality and the mistreatment of black people in America, black and brown people, and people still didn't get it. Now we have this, and I think Sports Illustrated had a, co- a virtual uh, a online cover, and it was like like uh, something. It was Kaepernick, and then it said, uh, "How about now?" or something like that. Yep. And I'm just like. For Drew Brees to come out with that statement, like you still don't get it, man. Yeah, you still don't get it.
0: And, and what Cap- I
1: yeah. go ahead. No, and what I hate is like we talked about stuff in the home. He got two young boys; like they're gonna grow up and be the same way. Like yeah. just you know. And and
0: Kaepernick, correct me if I'm wrong, raised by a white family.
1: Yes, that so- you know that's <laughs> like it's part of what I love about Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, Colin Kaepernick is somebody who didn't always. He wasn't always woke, as we say, Mm -hmm. but he did the research. He did his own homework and saw when he saw that things weren't right. He took it upon himself to be like, wait a minute. This is just all wrong. Everything. Most of what we're taught is wrong. The history is wrong. And he did his own homework on his own. Right. And that makes his story to me even just more important and even better Yep. you know that he you know it wasn't like he grew up in a black family and always knew this and this and that no he had to he had to get woke on his own and I think that's so important right that I wish like other people would do Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know for sure Uh, you know great point yeah so
0: well that was uh, I really appreciate you talking about all that Brian Um, yeah why don't you talk about all of these new aspirations that you have going on right now in, in your life.
1: Yeah, and I know we talked to texted about this, and it's yeah, it, it's really hard to like go from uh, yeah. you know, racism and and yeah. police brutality to that. But you know, I was watching an interview the other day with uh, <clears throat> Lil, Lil Wayne's got a podcast, and he was interviewing Dr. Dre, nice. and and he had to talk to Dr. Dre about it, and 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 Dr. Dre was like said the same thing. He was like, because then he asked him some question about something in the studio and Dr. was <laughs> like, man, I don't know how to go. I don't know how to go from uh totally. to police brutalities and talking about my you know new song we're working on. But yep. you know, I, I think in a what we all need to do to help transition this, what we all gotta do is the the news is uh and everything going on is exhausting. Yep. And I think we gotta keep pushing. We have to have those conversations. But I encourage anybody who's listening to this, like still Find something else. We just, we're coming, I mean, we're still in it, but COVID-19 and police brutality and racism, everything we're trying to fight today, pay attention to those, but find your peace, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. You know, uh, mine is, you know, I have a lot of hobbies that I'm working on. I'm working out, one of my goals is, you know, I want to be a DJ. And kind of one of the things that, you know, people know me for now like I say people I mean like people you know some friends here in Chicago and uh, some of my friends back home is I'm like a I listen to all different types of music and I'm really really into it to the point where I even did just for fun kind of before all this happened you know kind of a hip-hop tournament like you did like an NCAA tournament yeah I saw uh, that yeah started doing that I'll get back to it eventually here mm-hmm. um, I was doing stuff, stuff like that you know I want to get back to blogging and I really want to blog about music and the arts, um, you know, and fashion design as well. Um, I was a fashion student at Indiana, uh, mm. for those who don't know as well. <laughs> um, so I'm a really big fan of the arts. I'm by no means your stereotypical. Uh, I just watch football and I just watch sports and this and that. Nah, I, I'm not that way. So mm-hmm. I really want to make sure I'm, I, I continue to dabble in those things. My wife bought me a, uh, um, a DJ board and a stand for Christmas mm. and I, I'm saving up right now to get a brand new laptop. Nice. So, um, so I'm in the, I'm in the infant stages here of, of learning uh, of honing my DJ skills, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, um, you know, and I want to get to blogging and I also want to try to do some podcasting as well. Um, because I just feel like I have a, you know, I, I, I got a, I have a lot of fun conversations with friends and things about pop culture and things with yep. arts and stuff. I'm like, well, you know, I should just get this stuff out for fun. You know what I mean? Oh, you'd and be I, great at it. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I used to be, and I used to, like I said, obviously journalism background. You know, I want to do the blogging and get back to it. You know, and, and one of the things I want to do is like, for I, I'm a big fan of lists. I love lists. Mm-hmm. You know, in the end of the year, Pitchfork Magazine, Pitchfork Comes out with the top 100. I'm all over. It. That's right. You know, top 100 albums of the year. Top, you know, albums of the week, whatever. I'm super into that. So.
0: Why don't you give me a uh, top five. Fort Wayne running backs of all time right now. Boom.
1: Oh, man. Because uh, you're on it.
0: You got to put yourself on it. So. I'm on
1: it. Thank I'm, you. I, no order here. Okay. Uh, Larry Bostic. Yep. South side. All oh, All time. Woo. There's something out There's Some old heads, yeah, who might be listening to this, and I just can't go back that far. You know, <laughs> my dad be like, Well, you didn't see so and so back in you know the 80s, like, of course, I didn't, right? Uh, right, right, you know. Uh, but I gotta go, Charles Bailey, yep, Northrup, love him, um, yep. Went to Illinois, played corner, worst decision ever. Should have went somewhere, and played running back. I, yeah. he knows this, I've told him. Um, <laughs> uh, uh let me think here. I'm going through the schools here. Um, man, Snyder had a few. Shoot,
0: uh, Woodson was running back a little bit. Who was? You know, you know, Rod Woodson was running back. He went both ways.
1: Was he? I, I yeah. Can't,
0: I can't count him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. DB. How about Joey Ellams? Joey Ellams.
0: Another Concordia. Uh,
1: mm. I'll, see, I want to – see, you'll get me in trouble. See? Sorry, sorry. See? I talked to Joy last week. She's she's gonna be. Hey, how you gonna pick? You're not gonna pick my brother. <laughs> Joy Ellums is Joey Ellums' brother, uh, younger younger uh, sister. For anybody that yep. know, one of the greatest track athletes in Concordia history That's as right. well. Um, I'm gonna throw a little shout out here. I'm going go, I'm gonna go. Uh, Quail Lewis. Mm. And this isn't necessarily all time now because I'm getting into people I like. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I gotta go. Hmm. Man, the next one after that. I'm going through the schools in my head here. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm blanking on the name. Jalen Smith. Oh, yeah. Bishop Lewis? Bishop Lewis. Yeah. Still playing. Uh, Yeah, he is. Dallas Cowboys. Obviously a linebacker, but anybody listening to this, if you didn't see Jalen play running back, oh, my God.
0: And run the 200 in, like, 22-2. You're
1: right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So That's a
0: good list. No Dwanger guys on the list. I see how it is, Brian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh. <laughs> they had, they
0: had, but basically Bishop Dwanger had the biggest line ever. Like you could put anybody back there. Oh,
1: they're wonderful. That's, and they I still, always thought that they still do. We <laughs> yeah. Pro- what, if, we're, what if
0: you had that line, man?
1: Oh man, you're gonna make me. See, you're gonna get me in trouble again. See, man. Yeah. You know, no disrespect to any of the linemen who I, who. I played with. I love you no, all.
0: I'm the one disrespecting them. You're not those <laughs> but, 180 pounders instead of uh, the 250 right, pounders. Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. But that yeah. Dewanger, those Dewanger teams, oh, they were fantastic. I'm telling you. And they still, still have big linemen like that. Yeah. I, we're trying to get some here. Totally. <laughs> so totally. You know, but uh I, I think they had uh I'm gonna say the name. I hope I don't get it wrong, Pete Till. Yeah. Back in the day, I really liked Pete Till, he was good. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple others that I'm blanking on right now. But yeah, they just had a – they just were – you talk about a team that just knew how to win. Right. Coach Swarovskopf, man, one of the greatest. Right. You know, had them guys going, I'm telling you.
0: Well, well, then the last thing I'm wondering is when, when I'm going to get the phone call to help you train for the uh,
1: USATF Masters. Oh, yeah. So. so, I'm out of shape right now.
0: <laughs> but – You got the COVID. Did you gain the COVID-19?
1: <laughs> you know what's funny is I actually lost I lost weight. Oh, you lost the COVID-19. Yeah. Negative. Yeah, it, nice. I didn't lose 19, I lost about mm. 6. That worked. Yeah. But uh so that's good. But so I've been thinking of stuff to do that I, I want to be competitive. I'm like I'm definitely not going to do anything with football. Not even flag because I'm not trying to tear a knee. Right. <laughs> right. You know, I don't want to play basketball cuz I see too many injuries. But I'm like, track. And I, and I know this for a fact, I'm still somewhat fast. Mm-hmm. So, and I just like, well, I want to do something where I can do for a long time, you know, yeah. and always be competitive. And I was like, well, track and field's got to be the way. Right. Because, you know, um, you know, barring any hamstrings and quads and stuff, but, you know, stay healthy, you know, pretty healthy and be able to do it for a long time and be competitive. Um, you know, I could do this when I'm 65. You know That's so right. um i'm thirty four right now you have to be thirty five to do the masters, so I'm looking mm. at hopefully starting something at some point next year um, to do that so
0: I think you're sub fifty by next summer i what do you man, think
1: i well, if I'm going to go sub fifty at thirty five would be the best time to do it because I ain't getting any younger so <laughs> um, I would you know honestly I'm probably sub 50 at 36 yeah i don't know about 35 i got you but uh because those workouts man i try to think back to those two 450s and all that stuff you had us mm. doing man like that's really hard work like to get back to that in my 34 35 year old body right is a different world and uh, but i think i can do it though i think you can uh, Alyssa Dela, if you're listening to this that's uh, right. <laughs> one heck of an inspiration. So, yep. uh, yeah, So uh, I'm not going to be on uh, on uh, on her level by any means, but right. but oh. uh, she's a professional. Yeah. Uh, well, but, Tom Brady uh, is 66 years old. So. <laughs> I mean, come on. You can't run a 49
0: second 400. You can't at run 35. It at all.
1: <laughs> I my goal is
0: 49.99. I, I like it.
1: That's the goal. But I, if you got some workouts, I'd gladly take oh, them. But come on. Let's do it. The first couple of weeks here, though, uh, I, I'm gonna start like here, you know, actually like in the next couple of weeks. And I decided the first couple of weeks I just gotta get just general exercise, just be running. Yep. So just kind of go with that, and then kind of get into a plan. So, but yeah, Perfect. we got. I'll get in touch with you about that for sure.
0: Absolutely.
1: So yeah, but, uh, but all these things are keeping me sane in these yep. times, and, and I, it's it's really enjoyable. So I'm trying to stick stick to all these uh, goals I got here.
0: That's great. Well, this has been very enjoyable, Brian. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I've I really, really enjoyed this and uh, I'll be uh you know, if I want to start my own podcast, I'll definitely be hitting you up. I like it. For no, sure. No doubt. No doubt. All right,
0: man. Well, yeah, I appreciate the words of wisdom and I'm definitely going to uh take all those things you said to heart and I know a lot of a lot of listeners will as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, please do and I encourage everybody, like I said, if you're listening to this, um, like I said, Pay attention, be aware of things, don't be afraid to have conversations. Uh, And a lot of this is heavy, but like I said, make sure you're finding your peace within all this, within all your understanding, uh, and know that there are people around you. We all have people around us who we can have conversations with, whether it be about certain heavy issues or to kind of let loose and make sure you're doing both. Mm Mm-hmm. Empathy
0: over apathy.
1: I love it. All right, Brian, thanks again.